As the midterms approach, Democrats find themselves facing two daunting obstacles to success. One, everything they touch turns to crap. And two, they touch everything. Many Democrats are also worried that Joe Biden will not be up to doing the job of president after 2024, by which, of course, they mean not the year, but military time. Biden, meanwhile, insists that he is fulfilling his campaign promises, which is true given that his campaign promised he'd be a venal incompetent who hides in the basement and blames other people for the nation's problems, sometimes screaming nonsense at American voters like the old man in The Simpsons who yells at clouds, and other times hissing nonsense in an eerie whisper as if he were possessed by one of the lesser demons like Pazuzu or Nancy Pelosi. Despite these promises made and kept, Biden's approval ratings have continued to decline until his only remaining bastions of support are immaterial forces of demonic evil and Nancy Pelosi. As for Democrat senators and congressmen, they have turned their attention to what they should try to accomplish after the midterms are over. Some suggestions include learn to play the banjo, take long meditative walks to try and figure out why everything you touch turns to crap, sell off your crypto investments, and use the profits to buy a lottery ticket in the hope you can hit the big win and get yourself a full tank of gas. Or change your name and run for office again disguised in a wig and fake mustache so you can finish the important work of ruining every aspect of American life. Some Democrats, however, have not given up hope of securing victory and are developing strategies to win back the trust of Americans by locating those Americans who are gullible idiots. Democrats feel they can identify these perennial dimwits by targeting voters who make such statements as, I believe inflation is transitory, I believe climate change is an existential threat, or I believe that trans women are women, and if they're not, I should probably pretend I don't remember what happened last Saturday night. Different Democrats are choosing different approaches to win over these intractable morons. For instance, California congressman and proven liar Adam the Proven Liar Schiff has had his district redrawn to only include journalists and other perfidious buffoons who believe his proven lies. Liar Schiff is planning a major campaign rally for these lowlifes, during which he will set his hair on fire and run down the street screaming, Donald Trump is coming, everyone panic, while Bill Kristol limps behind him, muttering yes master and eating flies like Renfield and Dracula. Senator Chuck Schumer, who has drifted to the far left for fear of a challenge from Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, has decided he will try to appeal directly to AOC's voters by wearing tight dresses and saying, look at me, I'm an ignoramus. Eric Swalwell says he will run on his record of banging a Chinese spy, farting on television, and having a last name that sounds like something that needs to be surgically removed. Swalwell's 2019 bid for the presidency failed after he used the campaign slogan, I am you, and then turned out to be someone else who was banging a Chinese spy. In his current re-election campaign, Swalwell will instead use the slogan, I am not you, so you no longer have to feel so ashamed. While Democrat prospects currently look dim if current trends continue and there's a God in heaven, the left could get a surprise lift from angry Donald Trump supporters who say they'll refuse to vote unless the results of the last election are overturned and Trump becomes president for the past two years. These determined Trump loyalists consider this part of a long-term strategy in which the Democrat majority is allowed to remain in office until they totally destroy the country whereupon Trump will be able to hold a massive rally and declare, see, I told you the Democrats would totally destroy the country. As one fierce Trump supporter put it, quote, if that's not victory, I don't know what victory is. No, really, I have no idea what victory is, unquote. Trigger warning, I'm Andrew Clavin, and this is The Andrew Clavin Show. I feel hunky-dunky, 
life is tickety-boo. Birds are winging, also singing, hunky-dunky-dee-doo. Ship-shaped, ipsy-topsy, the world is a pity zing It's a wonderful day, hurrah, hooray, it makes me want to sing. Oh, hurrah, hooray. Oh, hooray, hurrah. Hooray, hurrah, we are back laughing our way through the dust and rubble that's all that remains of our once beloved uh, republic. Today we'll talk about the evil assault on our children that is turning Pride Month into Shame Month. Uh, we'll have Yoram Hazoni on to talk about the future of conservatism. Really interesting book he's written. And uh, Megan Basham will be here to do her monthly cultural segment. We're going to talk about possible changes in the news business. This would be an excellent time to subscribe to Daily Wire. So you can support all the terrific stuff we're doing. Go on uh, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts, and give us a five-star review and subscribe to the podcast. That also helps us a lot. Uh, go on to YouTube and subscribe to the Andrew Claven channel. That's my personal channel. Uh, you get exclusive content there that you won't get on the show. If you ring that little bell, uh, you'll have tinnitus. Uh, but also leave a comment, and if the comment is sufficiently uh, grotesque and uh, hateful and phobic and all the various ists, like sexist and uh, guitarist or whatever, uh, we will read it on the show uh, because it fits right in with the rest of our content. Today's comment is from Rachel M., who said, I daily wired and chilled once. Rock Auto was said, now we have a seven-month-old. Rachel, I tried to warn you, this is, this is actually the way it works. So finally, I made vacation plans. I'm so happy. I told the Daily Wire, all emails that begin, I know you're on vacation, but will not be read. I <laughs> stop the minute I see that. I actually turn off everything. But... But not the ring alarm system because you got to have an alarm system to protect your house while you're away. And you know that ring makes the wonderful doorbells that let you talk to anyone who comes to the door no matter where you are. But ring alarm is also an award-winning home security system with available professional monitoring when you subscribe. You can easily install it yourself. Ring didn't stop there. They changed the home security game with Ring Alarm Pro. Ring Alarm Pro is a next-level security system. CNET calls Ring Alarm Pro a giant leap for home security. With a Ring Protect Pro subscription, it's an amazing deal. You get professional monitoring for the ultimate peace of mind. If anything happens, professional monitoring will call and can request emergency services. You may not know it, but it's true. Ring has an award-winning alarm. And this busy summer season, to protect your home, you should go pro with Ring Alarm Pro. To learn more, go to ring.com forward slash Clavin. That's ring.com forward slash Clavin. Ask anyone who comes to your door on your app, on your Ring app, say, do you know how to spell Clavin? If he says yes, you set off the alarm. All right. You know, today I'm going to take a close look at the concept of the slippery slope, because if there is such a thing as a slippery slope, we are now at the bottom of it. Uh, as I was leaving yesterday, last week, after I did the show last week, uh, I met up with my son, Spencer Clavin, no relation, uh, and we were going to have a cigar. We thought we'd drag uh, Knowles out, and we walked by Knowles' office, and Jeremy, the God King, was in there with Knowles, and they waved us in. They said, you have to look at this, and they showed me this thing. Uh, you've probably heard about it. I know Knowles was talking about it earlier. I think this will be a, a different take, but it's still a, the same starting point. Uh, this was this report on Fox News, a series called America Together LGBTQ Plus Pride Month. Uh, and Brian Linus, Fox, Fox News correspondent, was talking about uh, a little girl 
uh, named Ryland, who they translated, <laughs> they transubstantiated into, uh, into a boy before he could even speak. That's what he, he somehow managed to tell his parents that he wanted to be a boy. And as I was sitting watching this uh, with my son, uh, I perhaps expostulated several words that we don't like to use on the air. Uh, I don't remember it clearly, but I think I didn't. Every time I would do that, either Jeremy or Knowles would turn to me and say, it gets worse. And by the end, I was saying, how can this be? Here's just a, a clip of the story. Before Ryland could even speak, he managed to tell his parents that he is a boy. I could just see it. It wasn't him trying to be a brat. It was like painful. It was truly painful for him to have to wear feminine clothing and, and for us constantly telling him that you're a girl. And unlike some trans kids, when Ryland came out at age five a few years later, he had the full support of his parents. Initially, there was some pushback from us in yeah. trying to understand this. We were confused like most people are. We thought that gender and sexuality were the same thing. It took us a while to figure out that those two things are different and that children actually do recognize their gender identity very young. Some of them, not all. But they listened to Ryland and to Hillary's conservative faith. For me, it's just a deep spiritual belief that you believe in God and he, you know, created us the way he wanted us, well then yes, he created Ryland just the way he is. So, as I said, I kept uh, expostulating, exclaiming uh, obscene words, and Jeremy and Michael kept saying, wait, wait, it gets worse. And finally I said to him, how could it possibly get worse? And then they waited till they got to the end, and this was at the end, uh, cut two. They listened to families. They met in support groups. There was a father who was sitting across the table. He says, you have no idea how lucky you are to be here, which kind of took me back. I didn't at that point consider myself lucky to be there. And he said, you know, our, our child had displayed this gender dysphoria or this gender misalignment at, at, at the same age that Rylan has. And we didn't listen and we pushed back. That pushback led that child to turn to self-harm as a teenager, which 60% of trans and non-binary kids engage in, according to the Trevor Project. More than 50% consider suicide. That for me was the turning point. I didn't want to see Ryland to go through that. I'd rather have a living son than a dead daughter. I want to thank the Whittington family for speaking to us. It's not easy, particularly at a time when, when transgender issues have been politicized. People are afraid of what they do not understand, Dana. This family hopes their story will lead to more understanding, more acceptance, and ultimately more love. So people are afraid of what they don't understand. I, and let's, I just want to tell you how I see this and what how I think about this and what I don't understand. There's no science to this. There is no science to this. No gene has been discovered. No chemical imbalance has been discovered. There's no science whatsoever. There's only a theory. There's only an idea. This kid, they say, first expressed this when he couldn't talk. Now, I, I have raised two kids. I've got two grandchildren. I know when kids are, before kids can talk, because a lot of my kids could, the kids that I associate with, could talk when other kids couldn't, and they would express their ideas, but they didn't have anything to say because kids like that are just swimming in a sea of nouns. You know, they say, oh, mommy, daddy, you know, grass, trees. That's what they're saying. So now he's five, old enough to still believe in Santa Claus, and he believes that he is a boy. Again, no science to this. And not only that, at five, you know, like I said, you can believe in Santa Claus. When he's 20, he'll be an atheist because his mind won't, still won't be developed enough. You have to get to 25 before your brain is fully developed. So really, his mom and dad 
took over a power to, to alter his life and his mind forever uh, in a way that could be tremendously destructive. Those, those um, statistics they put forward were very deceptive because they say, well, 50% of uh, trans kids consider suicide, but that remains true even after they have transitioned and had surgery. So that doesn't really mean anything except that they have a real difficulty. And, and believe me, I have nothing but, but compassion for people who feel misplaced in their own bodies. But still, still, to, to change a child irrevocably before he has reached the age of reason on the things that he is saying, some huge number of kids who think that the other sex end up being gay, it's, it's over 90%, 95%. Uh, it is a huge number of kids who think that they're trans turn out just to be gay. You know, so these parents impose something on him. Now, after this came out, uh, Knowles and Ben and Walsh uh, all were tweeting about it. Ben wrote a piece about it that I retweeted because I basically read his piece attacking this report, um, and uh, he said everything I, that I would have said, so I just retweeted his report. And I want to explain something, and this is important because I know there's a strain of conservatism that says, oh, everyone is trying to fool me, but I'm just too smart. You know, this is the thing where you say, oh, Clavin, you know, he's not, he's not convinced that the election was stolen, but I know he's in the pay of people trying to damage, you know, I, every time I say that I don't believe the last election was stolen, I lose listeners. I'm saying it to you because it's what I believe. I would change my mind if I were convinced that were untrue. But these guys, they always think they're smarter than everybody. And they look at Ben, all the, they're always saying it about Ben, you know, oh, that Shapiro, he's into this and he's getting paid by this and he's just doing this for the money. Fox News is important to us. It is an important ally and an important supporter. They're extremely powerful in the conservative world, or they were until this report came out. Uh, but, you know, Matt relies on them to make his books bestsellers and his, uh, his you know, What is a Woman documentary bestseller. Ben goes on there. Knowles goes on less because they've sort of pushed him out. I, I don't go on because I'm too much of a loose cannon. They won't invite me on. And we like these people. Greg Gutfeld is a wonderful person. Dana, Dana Perino, who is hosting this show, uh, is one of the nicest people I've ever met. Tucker Carlson, we respect him uh, and like him. And so, you know, these are not people we want to offend in any way. So Ben and, and Walsh and Knowles were being brave. I mean, it's not like rushing into the Taliban stronghold, but it's being sticking to your values. Ali Beth Stuckey, who hosts the Blaze Media Podcast, Relatable, she's a Christian uh, commentator, uh, really nice lady. She, she tweeted, I'm stunned that Fox News ran a segment celebrating a girl whose parents transitioned her into a boy when she was five because she apparently told them she was a boy before she could talk. Absolutely maddening. So Twitter uh, locked her out of her account and people complained. They put them back, but still they, they put forward, you know, they, they've got the message across that if you say this stuff, you're going to be banned. So no science, a child's body in, in ineradicably altered, uh, a mind disturbed, probably not helped. But if you oppose it, Twitter said that Ali uh, uh, violated their, their uh, rules against hateful conduct. So you're hateful if you oppose it. Now, I think this is evil. I don't even think it's close. It's, it's not even a debate. You know, you, you alter a child's body so that it can't be altered again on this idea where that it has no science behind it. I'm not even saying it's false. I'm saying there's no science behind it. We know that people have transitioned and said they're happier. Some people have said this is inevitable. Very few, but some have. We do know that this is, uh, exists. This, these symptoms exist. These feelings exist. And sometimes people are glad that they go through the transition when they're adults. To do this to a child, with what we know now, 
And then to say it's hateful if you oppose this. It's hateful to not, you know, you've only, you only hate it because you're afraid of it. You, you're afraid of what you don't understand. It's nonsense. That's nonsense. And so what you have is nice people at Fox News, and these, these are good people, doing stuff that's evil. And that is the way things work, right? This is why I keep hammering on about the culture, the culture, the culture, because the culture creates our sense of what is good and bad. And when the culture goes bad and when the culture accepts these ideas without really thinking them through, then the culture has evil in it and good people start to do evil things. George Washington, one of the best men who ever lived in, in both in his, in his actions and his mind, uh, held slaves and held slaves in, in ways that I think we look at now and we think, yeah, that was evil. He didn't see it. He literally didn't see it because he was surrounded by culture like a fog and that culture inculcated in him the idea that this was somehow acceptable. Uh, wonderful, lovely women have abortions, uh, something that I think is... in. You, just inarguably wrong. It's inarguably wrong to kill a baby in the womb. That baby has the same right to life that you have. It, is, it has done nothing to anybody uh, to, to abort that child. is a terrible thing to do. Wonderful women do it because they're like George Washington. They're surrounded by this cloud in which it's acceptable. Uh, it's an acceptable thing to do. Perfectly nice people, people that you would like, people that you would sit and have a drink with, a meal with, befriend, sat and did nothing while the chimneys at Auschwitz spewed out the uh, ash and smoke of the bodies of people being murdered en masse because the culture, the culture, the story of the culture the, said it was okay. It, it was, maybe it was a little extreme, you know, maybe Hitler was being a little extreme, but, and now we have this, and I'm sorry, but to do this to children, to think that it's all right to do this to children when we know nothing except these stupid leftist ideas that haven't been parsed, they haven't been judged. I mean, this is going to come back and bite us because people always wake up from these nightmares. They always come around and say, oh, you know, maybe holding slaves, not such a good idea. Maybe having an abortion, not such a good idea. People wake up from these nightmarish dreams. But while we're in it, while we're in it, if we don't attend to our culture, if we don't look at it, you have good people, good people supporting ideas that simply are insupportable. You might not believe this, but I actually love kids. A little salt, some ketchup. They're absolutely great. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I love them, and you got to protect them. you got to protect your family. You can do it with Fabric. Get your term life insurance from Fabric. It's surprisingly affordable. Fabric was built specifically for parents to help parents manage their family's financial future. Like a parenting pro, stress-free. Fabric's new lower prices mean significant savings over other providers, Great policies, like a million dollars in coverage for less than a buck a day. Everything is on your schedule with Fabric because it's all online. Less than 10 minutes to apply, and you could be offered coverage instantly with no health exam required. Then you just personalize your quote to fit your family's need. With Fabric's online hub, it's easy to track your family finances all in one place, get affordable life insurance, set up your kid's college savings plan, and even establish a rainy day savings fund. Planning for the future has never been easier, and there's no risk to apply today. They have a 30-day money-back guarantee, and you can cancel anytime. Protect your family with term life insurance now in just 10 minutes. Apply today at meetfabric.com slash Clavin. That's meetfabric.com slash Clavin to start protecting your family today. M-E-E-T, fabric.com slash Clavin. Fabric insurance agency policies issued by Vantis Life, not available in New York and Montana. Prices subject to underwriting and health questions. You spell Clavin, K-L-A-V-A-N. Ha <laughs> 
So I've talked about before the fact that I really don't like to use the word evil. I think we in America are spoiled and we don't really know, uh, all, a lot of us don't know what evil is and we use it in politics way, way too often. And I think on the right, we use it way too often. And, you know, Barack Obama is evil and Donald Trump is evil, whoever you don't like is evil. And, um, you know, as I, I've said before, you know, if, if Jeffrey Dahmer uh, raped, murdered, and ate his lovers, I think we need a different word, you know, when we're describing Barack Obama and uh, Donald Trump. But that doesn't mean that people don't do evil. Joe Biden is not an evil man. Uh, you know, I think he's, I do think he's venal. I think he's unprincipled. But, you know, he's just not. But, but now he's just issued this uh, executive order that will direct the Department of Health and Human Services to expand access to gender-affirming care, as they say it, um, this is, you know, basically selling Pride Month and trying to uh, make some political hay out of it. Um, it will strengthen efforts to ban conversion therapy and increase access to sex change treatment for trans transgender Americans, including for children. And I'm sorry, but this is wicked. This is evil. And again, I, I think it's the culture has got this evil thread going through it. They Part of this executive order is basically a really suspicious language in which they're going to investigate what the effects on children are of parents who don't agree to give them surgery. So in other words, they're going to try and set a standard by which the government can take your child away and castrate them. I mean, basically, that's what they're saying. Uh, you know, oh, daddy, I'm a girl. Knock, knock, it's the FBI. That's essentially what they're kind of paving the way for. It, you know, and if you don't think this is wicked, if you don't think this, there's something evil about this, you only have to look at what's happening. I mean, they call this Pride Month. I said this Pride Month has become Shame Month. And it really is true because, you know, you think about the fact that, you know, a gay couple comes to you and says, hey, we want to live in peace and, you know, have our lives and all this. And most Americans think, fine, we, you know, I don't really care. But now you've got these guys in the streets. I mean, here is a, a drag show for uh, children. Basically, this is, yeah, I mean, that's not even the worst clip we have. We have clips of uh, people, you know, so-called men with breasts twerking in front of children. Uh, just uh, Christine Aguilera dressed up as the um, as the Hulk, uh, pretending to masturbate. I, you know, I don't want to play them all; they're just too disturbing. Uh, in front, all of this in front of, of children. And what's you know what's interesting about drag is that drag used to be kind of a poignant comedy. Uh, it used to be men who were attracted to things that women did, like, you know, Judy Garland or something, and were able to dress up and do a sort of Judy Garland imitation. And you could sense, I, I, I actually saw a drag show once. It's a long st story, which I'm not going to tell. But, you know, it was it was poignant and and sort of funny in the sad way of a guy kind of reaching for something that he loved but couldn't be. And because of that, it always had an element of the grotesque, and it still does. And if if you're a woman, and this is their idea of what a woman is like, 
this hypersexualized, uh, you know, a kind of weird-looking creature who dresses like this. I mean, it's it's very offensive to women, and it's very disturbing to children. I think it shouldn't be done. And here is uh, Nancy Pelosi, who uh, was at a cross-dressing show, and here's what she said. This is cut four. Give a warm drag race welcome to the Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi. Welcome back. My honor to be here to say to all of you how proud we all are of you. Thank you for the joy and beauty you bring to the world. Your freedom of expression of yourselves in drag is what America is all about. I say that all the time to my friends in drag. <laughs> so, you know, you can see that. <laughs> you know, I, I, I've been, was visiting Mount Vernon and uh, George Washington's tomb is above ground. And I said to my wife, that's so we can see him rolling over. Uh, because when you say that this is essentially what America is all about, this is what patriots died for, this is what people stormed Normandy Beach for, uh, this is what, you know, uh, the founding fathers signed away their uh, lives for. Uh, no, it's not. It has nothing to do with it. <laughs> it has nothing to do with it. But, but it is now. It is now. And, and what's, what's terrible about this, again, you know, Nancy Pelosi is, is a very, very uh, disturbing character. She's a very smart politician, uh, very unprincipled, really a, a woman who will cut your throat, uh, um, symbolically speaking. And, and just seeing her kind of put, put this in kind of these patriotic, patriotic terms actually is telling us something about what America is becoming on this slippery slope. So... When I retweeted Ben, when I retweeted Ben talking about Fox News and, and excoriating Fox for running a, a piece sympathetic to the transitioning of children, I got attacks from the right. And they were attacking Ben, but they were also attacking me, saying, well, you accept homosexuality. You accept gay marriage. Some of you conservatives went to Guy Benson's wedding. Um, Guy Benson, a very intelligent, uh, decent fellow who's a gay guy, got married. Uh, he said, and they would say, once you accept that, then the transgender children will follow. It's a slippery slope. This is what, what happens. And it's like that line in No Country for Old Men, where the old man says, once they stop saying sir and ma'am, the rest will surely follow. And, and that's what they're saying. So, you know, you say, well, Clavin, you know, you have this son who's gay and you accept that and you're going to his wedding. It's worse than that. I'm delighted to welcome uh, his fiancée into our, into our family. Uh, so it's a slippery slope. And I think about this because I, I think that's, a, I actually think, given what's happening now, that attitude deserves serious consideration. I do not laugh at people who say that. I'm not mocking anyone who says it. I can see why you look at this and think, yeah, once you accept one thing, you accept all of it. So I ran it through my mind, you know. I thought, like, let me, let me take that criticism seriously uh, because I'm certainly disappointed in our elites. I'm disappointed in our culture. I'm disappointed in these people. You know, I'm disappointed that more gay people aren't coming out and saying, hey, this doesn't represent us. This is not what we wanted. Uh, because a lot of gay people did say that. You know, when when AIDS hit, a lot of it came from these bathhouses where people were going and sleeping with 10 people a night, you know, having sex with 10 people a night, 10, 15 people a night. What did you think was going to happen? Of course it's unhealthy. And a, a lot of gay people were saying, that's not why I wanted to come out. I wanted to come out so I could have an open relationship and live in love and just be left alone. So I, I wish more gay people would talk about this because it really is, it, it's just despicable. 
And the thing about the slippery slope is you can put it anywhere, right? Couldn't a, a Muslim person who dresses his wife so you can't see anything but her eyes, right? Just her eyes peering out of the kind of ghost of Christmas yet to come costume. Couldn't he say, well, you know, America, you got what you deserved. You let your women dress uh, like hookers. You let, you let them go around in bikinis. What did you think was going to happen? Once you start saying, sir and ma'am, the rest will follow, you know? And then let's take it from another point of view. I mean, that's the thing. Where does the slippery slope begin, right? Why, does, why doesn't it begin with letting women walk around outside of their burqas, right? With, with having women uh, who dress immodestly according to ancient ideas, right? Why doesn't it begin there? Maybe you think it does, but I, I can't see us living like that. We've never lived like that. We've always been a culture that allowed women more rights than any other for, for all the complaining about it. And let, let's take it from another point of view. What do you actually want? What does anybody actually want? Because I was alive when gay people could be arrested for being gay. When, you know, guys like Turing uh, were castrated, chemically castrated for being gay. Like Turing, the guy who cracked the Nazi code uh, and then was punished for being gay in this horrifying way. Ultimately, I, I believe he, he killed himself. I, I believe I've got that right. Um, do you want, should, should Guy Benson be arrested? Should my son be arrested? Should they be forced to live in such a way that the only romantic life they have is done in the shadows, uh, is, is brief and hidden and uh, uh, persecuted? Because it is persecution to go in. The cops used to go into bars until, and wait for a guy to hit on them and then arrest him because he was breaking the law. Most of the people I know most of the people I know, even the most conservative people I know, could not care less what you do in your private life. They could not care less what you sleep with as long as it's, you know, obviously adults and, uh, and, and people consent and all of those things. But they don't care if you want to dress up and call yourself Clara. They just want their children left alone, and they'd like a little decorum in the streets. You know, like the British used to say, don't frighten the horses. That's what, you know, that's what most of the people I know, uh, most, most of the Americans I know, and I talk to Americans all over the place, all kinds of different Americans, and almost all of them begin by saying, you know, I don't care what you do. I don't care what you do in your home. And they don't want the police listening in at your bedroom door, kicking down your door to find out what kind of relationship you're, you're having. And most of them don't even want their, you know, their uncle or their nephew who turns out to be gay to have to live alone and to have, not have the compensation for this tragic life, which is romantic love. I mean, that is one of the compensations for this tragic life. So the two questions we're facing, the two questions are facing, there's two of them, I think, not just one. One is, how, should, how do you have sex? How do we have sex? Uh, you know, how, how, is, the, is there some limitation we want to put on the way that people have sex besides the ones that we have now, which is consent uh, and abuse of power? Most, most of the things that we see as sexual sins are really abuse of power. Uh, rape is an abuse of power. Uh, having it transgendering, transitioning your child is an abuse of your parental power. That's the whole problem with it. It is an abuse. It is using your parental power in a way that is not acceptable because there's no science to back it up and the person who is making the decision, the child, is not ready to make that decision. That's why it's an abuse. That's why it's evil. That's why it's wicked. It's an abuse of power. So do we want that now? What, so what, what do we disapprove of so much in sexuality that we are willing to disallow it? And that's the second question, is do we want the government to have the power to control people's lives. Because what I think we're all looking for, see, all of these, politics makes us stupid by putting all these issues in black and white, yes or no. It's just too, uh, it's this binary idea that if, if the left is saying one thing, uh, we have to say the exact opposite. But I think what most people want, I think what most people, both conservatives and center-left people want, is we would like a moral 
a moral society that is accepting of difference and different people who do different things and who are in that position. We want to know how to look at that so that we are not oppressing them, but we're not being overwhelmed by this corruption. This is what this is. This is corruption. Doing this to children, uh, you know, pretending to masturbate in front of children, twerking in front of children, dressing up in drag in front of children and telling them that this is what a woman looks like, this is what you could be, this is what a man looks like. That, that's corruption. It is corrupting to them, and it, it, it must come from somewhere. So we want to ask ourselves, basically, what we want to do with sex. And I think it's a more complicated question than anybody would like to uh, admit. I think the left obviously saying, well, it's hateful for you not to want children to be butchered. Well, that's hateful of you. Obviously, that's stupid. But I think it's also uh, a little bit too self-certain uh, and uh, simplistic to say that we want to go back to the good old days uh, when things were restricted and we could arrest people for doing things that we don't believe in. Insider intelligence estimates that by the end of 2022, the number of U.S. adults who own at least one cryptocurrency will climb 19% to 33.7 million. Some surveys show that as many as 85% of millennial millionaires own crypto. How about you? Do you own any Bitcoin, Ethereum, Cardano, or other cryptocurrency? If you don't and you're not sure where to start, check out Alto IRA. Alto offers alternative investment opportunities like private companies, crypto funds, real estate, venture capital, and more. Alto Crypto IRA, in particular, is a great way to start investing and trading in crypto with a tax-advantaged retirement account. Create an account in just a few minutes and invest with as little as 10 bucks, no setup charges. Through Alto's integration with Coinbase, you get secure trading 24-7 and 150-plus available coins on their interface, including Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Cardano. Alto offers industry-leading security and alternative investment opportunities through some of the world's most recognized platforms and fund partners. Plus, there are multiple ways to fund your account. Open an Alto Crypto IRA account with as little as 10 bucks. Just go to altoira.com slash Andrew. That's A-L-T-O-I-R-A dot com slash Andrew. Start investing in cryptocurrency today. Go to altoira.com slash Andrew. So as we know, we're not a, we are a Christian country in the, in the sense that most of the ideas that form this country, I would say all of the ideas that form this country, grow out of a merging of uh, Christianity and classical culture. I mean, we've talked about this a million times. We would not be, there would be no America uh, without Christianity. It, the ideas, the way of looking at things uh, that we have, that we all have, all of us have, are Christians in some way, uh, all comes out of Christianity. Um, but we're not a the theocracy. And so we have to kind of rethink this stuff uh, and say, what is it that we can all accept? And I think that it all comes down to the body. It all comes down to what our bodies are and what they're for. And to me, there are only two scenarios that make sense about the body. I mean, the body is not a machine with a ghost inside. I know that the atheists always love to say, oh, the stupid idea. No one has ever thought that since, really, since St. Paul. I mean, that is not the idea of, of Christianity. In fact, it was deemed a heresy uh, that there were these two separate things. That's not the way Christians look at the body. However, the body is either this piece of meat, a meat puppet with a chemistry set inside, or it's a representation of something beyond itself, yourself. It's a representation of yourself, the spiritual entity we call a person. Now, the meat puppet idea, 
I, you know, the best description of this comes to my mind from Yuval Harari in a book called Homo Deus. Uh, I, I feel certain that Yuval Harari has some kind of mental condition. <laughs> I do. You know, I think, he, you know, he's on the spectrum somewhere. Like, maybe he's off the spectrum. He really doesn't understand human life. But this is what he believes. And he says, this is how he describes people's joys and sorrows, okay? He says, we never react to events in the outside world but only to sensations in our own bodies. Nobody suffers because she lost her job, because she got divorced, or because the government went to war. The only thing that makes people miserable is unpleasant sensations in their own bodies. Conversely, people are made happy by one thing, and one thing only, pleasant sensations in their bodies. If science is right and our happiness is determined by our biochemical system, then the only way to ensure lasting contentment is by rigging the system. Forget economic growth, social reforms, political revolutions. In order to raise global happiness levels, we need to manipulate human biochemistry. So that's, a, that's an interesting view of life, and I think it holds together. I, I, I obviously don't think it's right. I think it holds together logically, but it has consequences. If the body is meat and chemicals, it can't have rights. That, that, that makes no sense. And that's what he writes are a fiction. That's what Yuval Harari says. They're just made up. What, what possible rights could a body, you know, a meat puppet with a chemistry set inside have? Uh, and, and Harari said that rights are just a fiction. And the question of who has rights becomes meaningless. The question of right and wrong becomes meaningless. What would that mean? By what moral order? Uh, what moral order would we be referring to if we're just a bunch of machines uh, with chemistry sets inside? And, you know, we just have to manipulate the chemicals. And one of the best ways to manipulate our chemicals for pleasant sensations, by the way, is sex. It's right easily to hand, as it were. And, you know, you can do it easily, so why not do it? But obviously, like common sense tells you that this idea is ridiculous, right? Do these bodily sensations just happen to occur when you win a game or when you lose a job? They just That just happens to be, you know, you just happen to get depressed when you lose your job, when you get divorced. It, it, it's just, it, the sensations are not connected to that. Of course they're connected to it. They're caused by the event in the person. The person experiences the event, right? And then but it's communicated to his brain and to his body by means of chemicals. It's not, the chemicals don't come first. The chemicals don't cause the sensations. The chemical causes the sensations, but it's the event, the experience of life that causes the chemicals to go into operation. The chemicals are the, the language of the spirit being spoken. It, it's, it, to me, this is so obvious. I don't know how Yuval Harari gets his stuff published. He's a wonderful writer, terribly entertaining, very educated, well-informed, but he makes no sense. This makes no sense to me. The body has to be a representation of something. You know, I mean, you just have to look at life. Yeah, the difference between a rock and an ant is so incredible, so vast, so infinite. Nobody can turn a rock into an ant. It can't be done. We have no idea what life is. We have no idea. We know how life represents itself, but we have no idea how it is made, where it comes from, where it originated. None. Zero. There is something mysterious about it, and I'm not... This is not God of the gaps because we don't know, therefore we'll come to God. What I'm saying is the difference in kind is so intense that I don't think we'll ever know what that difference in kind is. So if, in fact, these bodies that we have represent something else, if my body represents a clavin and your body represents whoever you are, it matters that what they're created, male and female. If they are a language that speaks ourselves, 
then it matters what words we use. Just like the other day, I was talking about the difference between saying September 21st or saying the dawn of autumn, right? Those are words that express the same thing, but they express them in very different ways. So it matters whether you are expressed as a male or a female, because that comes, that is not something you decide. That comes from the beginning. I, you know, just to show you how it matters. If, if I live my whole life without ever giving birth to a child, that's not a story. That's not even interesting. It's like saying I lived my whole life without flapping my arms and flying, right? It just doesn't matter because I'm born a man, because I'm born a man. If a woman lives her whole life without giving birth to a child, it is a story. It means something. It might be a happy story for her. She might think, gee, the one thing I don't want is a child. Or it might be a sad story because she was born without the capacity to, have, to give birth to a child. She's a woman, but she was born handicapped without that capacity that is natural to women, because that's what we're talking about. And so, you know, what the, the left always says is, well, how can you say that a woman has a womb? I know a woman who was born without a womb. She was handicapped. That is a, an anomaly. It's a sad story uh, that is being told. That is not a sad story that I was born without a womb, right? Because that would have been weird, because I'm a man. So it matters how we are expressed. When we look at a woman's body and when we look at a man's body, we know that they are meant for one another. I mean, this is just common sense. You know, even if I plug a lamp into a wall, they say, oh, he put the male part of the plug into the female part of the socket. It permeates our idea of life. This is our whole idea of life. It is where life comes from. And we understand that something essential happens when a man and woman come together in sex that doesn't happen any other place on earth because it is the creation, the possible creation of a new human being. And if sex has a purpose, and this is the purpose, if life is sacred, then sex is sacred. If life is sacred, then that baby is sacred, right? So all of these things, we have a model for how we're supposed to be, how we're supposed to treat these things. We, we know, we, we have marriage, we have s systems in order to express the sacredness and sacralize the things that we do naturally, right? However, However, having said that, the word that has been used to express our person is an animal body, and it is out of control. It is nuts. Our animal body is hilarious. I mean, we are a joke of what we're supposed to be. I always say that humor comes from the fact that we're fallen. Humor is one of the best proofs of fallen humanity because it's as if we were born to be angels, but instead we're jesters and buffoons. It's as if we're wearing a tuxedo and we slipped and fell into a mud puddle. You know, I mean, the things that go through our minds that we, most of us don't express, but I do, you know, and I'm always getting these letters, angry letters from Christian women saying, stop doing that. But, you know, I was watching Walsh's film, What is a Woman? And they had that, that butcher who cuts children up and she's saying, uh, she's saying that she, oh yeah, they, they have the science where they can create a vagina. And my first thought was, gee, I ought to have somebody do that for me. Not to me, but like just to my pillows or something. <laughs> Because that's that's the way guys think, you know. Whenever you read those stories, whenever you read those stories of some guy who's trying to have sex with like an air conditioner and he got stuck and had to be taken to the emergency room, you know, guys will always say, ah, "What? A, that's ridiculous. What kind of thing?" But what they're thinking is, "Huh? Yeah, an air conditioner is kind of cute." Uh, because our bodies are out of control, right? And so we know we know that there is this force of eros flying through us that is going to be expressed somewhere. And we try to control it, but we never, ever do.
we never do. And this is one of the things, this is one of the big lies, right? One of the big lies is it used to be better. You know, there's this book, a really entertaining book by a guy named Stefan Zweig, who used to be a famous writer and isn't anymore. The one book everybody reads by him is called The World of Yesterday. And I have it on my my device here, my iPad. Uh, and and he, he grew up during the heyday of Victorian Europe. It was really the Europe at its height when they, they all thought this is going to be paradise. This is going to go on for 100 years. Uh, and he then saw uh, World War I destroy the Austrian Empire, which is where he lived. Uh, and then he saw World War II come in and ultimately he escaped, I think, to South America and killed himself because the whole world that he had lived in was washed away. But before he did, he wrote this book remembering this and he talks about sex and he talks about how awful it was uh, to never that a woman could live her whole life without ever seeing her own body, uh, that men, that prostitutes lined the streets. There were so many of them because women were shut away and so they weren't going to be touched. And so the men had to satisfy themselves with prostitutes and then would come down with horrifying diseases for which there was no cure. And he says, we should not per permit ourselves to be misled by sentimental novels or stories of that ep epoch. It was a bad time for youth. The young girls were hermetically locked up under the control of the family, hindered in their free bodily as well as intellectual development. The young men were forced to secrecy and reticence by a morality which fundamentally no one believed or obeyed unhampered, honest relationships. In other words, all that could have made youth happy and joyous according to the laws of nature were permitted only to the very few. And anyone of that generation who wishes to look back honestly upon his first meetings with women will recall but few episodes that he can think about with unmixed pleasure. For in addition to the social pressure, which constantly enforced precaution and secrecy, there was at that time another element that overshadowed the happiest moments, the fear of infection. Because the men would go to prostitutes, they'd get sick, and then they'd give the illness to the women, and this was everywhere. And it was, he talks about the tension of it and the, and the just unnatural restrictions of it. So you say, okay, well, that wasn't any good, but maybe we'll move it up in the 50s. Then we had, that was great. Remember when we had Donna Reed and people were cleaning the house and, you know, in their uh, pearls and high heels and all this stuff. But of course not, not. Or people would not have said, you know, we're unhappy with this. And I was there, and I know a lot of women especially were unhappy with it, but a lot of men were too. A lot of men felt it was constraining. What I'm saying is sex is not a system that works. Sex is not a system that works. So in order to control things, we need, a, we need two things in order to have a, a moral society. Is one, we need to know how this, what the spirit wants Let's put it that way. I hate to put it in religious terms because I'm trying to keep it away from that. But still, what, what, what this, uh, this person wants, what is this person that the body represents? What does he want? And what does the body want? And how, what's the best way to find that balance? Now, the thing is, we know there's a person because we know there's someone who can say to the body, no. There's somebody who can say the body wants to commit adultery. The body wants, uh, you know, to... Uh, drink all the time. The body wants to eat and eat and eat until it's 400 pounds, but the person is saying, no, that's not what I want. That is not what I want. And so we know there's these two things and how do we keep those uh, clear? And everybody says, oh, it's religion, it's religion. But we've been through religious times and believe me, again, again, the, the, the evil has to go somewhere, the eros has to go somewhere, and it always, always does. And obviously, this is a terrible time. So what, the question that I started out with is what's the bad idea that has led us to this moment? 
And I think the bad idea is materialism. And I think the, the bad idea is the idea that there is no spirit, that that person saying no, that person saying I have more dignity than this, the person saying that my wife has to be treated in an elevated way in order for her to do the things that she does in my life, that the person who says, uh, you know, I'm not going to go out and twerk in front of children because those children deserve to develop on their own in a natural way that has nothing to do with my problems and the trauma that I went through as a child to become who I am. That, that person essentially no longer exists in our society. The, it, it is Yuval Harari all the way that, oh, we're just chemicals, we're just a matter, and that's the bad idea. See, when we talk about a slippery slope, I think that's the start of the slope. I don't think it's allowing gay people to live their lives without being interfered with. I don't think it's even transgender people. That, like Again, a transgender person has the right to do whatever he wants. As far as I'm concerned, he does not have the right to tell me what he is. He has the right to ask me politely if I will be kind enough to call him uh, a woman but he has no right to demand that I call him a woman. This is the bad idea, and it all starts, in my mind, with abortion. Once you say, once you say that sex is, is, has no telos, has no point, and if it has a point, we'll kill it, then you've reduced us to nothing. You have reduced us to flesh. And that's the idea I think we're looking at. I think we're looking at the wages of abortion. I don't think it is gay rights. And I don't think that's the slope, slippery slope we started in. I don't think being nice to one another even when, you know, I think that, for instance, gay marriage in a way, and other people have said this, is an expression of the fact that this marriage that we have created, this idea of marriage that we have created to express the wholeness of ourselves, the wholeness of our personhood in sex, is being imitated by people who can't participate in it. People who can't have a male-female relationship because they're gay are saying, well, yes, but we, we accept the morality of this and we are going to imitate that. I think that even transgenderism is an expression of how important gender is. They want so much to be something that they're not, that they're willing to really hurt themselves to become that thing. So I think that if we go back to this idea that, okay, there is a center and that center is a man and a woman creating a baby, and that baby is a full new life that has to be res respected because, because the body is a word that speaks a person. I think a lot of this stuff turns back, and I just want to end with this. I'm, I'm running a little bit over, so I just want to end quickly. In Texas, there was uh, a, a, uh, an election, and the woman who won was named Myra Flores, and the Democrats are going nuts about this. Again, Democrats are going nuts because she is uh, Latino in a district in a congressional district that has been Democrat since the 19th century, some people say. And she won. And she won as a conservative. And the point that I want to make is that her campaign slogan was God, family, country. I think I have that in the right order. God, family, country. And I saw that and I'm a cynical guy and I thought, ah, it's like Barack Obama saying hope. But people voted for Barack Obama because they were looking for hope. This is a small election, but it's a watershed election, and it's caused thunder to rumble through the Democrat Party. And they ought to be looking at that slogan, God, family, country. Because people voted for Barack Obama because they wanted hope, and they voted for this lady because they want God, family, and country. Because, because those, those things are the basis of the natural order of life, the natural order of human life. We have sold that order away. We have thrown that order away on the basis of this scientific delusion that we are nothing 
but meat and chemicals. We are more. We are more. We represent something of spirit. We represent that in our gender. We represent it when the genders come together. We represent that when the genders create new life, which is also something more than a body. It starts with abortion. It starts with saying, I have the right to stop that life, to kill that child, because it's nothing. And that's the slippery slope that's led us to to the wickedness we're seeing today. If you're sitting in your car and you're writing to the mailbag asking why you can't get a date, it may be because your car's not running. And maybe your car's not running because you don't go to rockauto.com. When you say rockauto.com, it solves both problems at once. First of all, women just love it. They love the sound of that, rockauto.com. They just swoon for that. They'll be pounding on your door and saying, get your car fixed so we can go on a date. And you'll get your car fixed easily by going to rockauto.com to shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. The rockauto.com catalog is unique. It's really easy to navigate. You can quickly see all the parts available for your vehicle and choose the brand specifications and prices you prefer. If you can just get, you got to push the women out of the way so you can see the screen. Rockauto.com has always reliably low prices and they're the same for professionals and do-it-yourselfers. So if you become a professional at saying rockauto.com, your life will be golden. Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck. Write Clavin in their How Did You Hear About Us box so they know I sent you. How do you spell Clavin? One of the things that drives conservatives crazy is that even when we win, we lose. Even when we get majorities, the culture keeps going in the direction we've been talking about today. Uh, this direction, really, which is now bordering on genuine wickedness. Uh, Yoram Hazoni has written this incredibly exciting book called Conservatism, A Rediscovery. Uh, he is the chairman of the Edmund Burke Foundation, the president of the Herzl Institute, uh, the leading proponent of the national conservative movement, which is reinvigorating the American and European right. Uh, Yoram, thank you so much for coming on. It's a pleasure to have you. Thank you, Andrew. Really a pleasure to be here. So you start in this book with a, a historical thesis, basically, that things changed after the world wars. Uh, can you explain how how that happened. Sure. It, it, it used to be that if you go back, you know, as many centuries as you want almost in, in uh, English and American history, Anglo-American history, it used to be that uh, there were two clear positions. People knew who the liberals were and people knew who the conservatives were. And uh, uh, so, some thought that that was a healthy tension. Some thought it was a terrible tension. But the liberals were people who were primarily about individual uh, individual liberties and equality. And the conservatives were people who, who thought differently about the wor world, what was of, principally of interest to them, not that they didn't care about liberty, but was principally of interest to conservatives was the question of conservation and transmission. What do you need to do? How do you need to build your society? How do you need to build your country if you want anything? Uh, I, ideas, institutions, behaviors to be transmitted over many generations. And those are two different philosophies with two different positions. Um, in in America, the 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 fight between liberals and conservatives kind of comes to an end after the Second World War. Uh, the two world wars are a big trauma. You know, we could discuss exactly why, but but people came. Many Americans came and and, and Europeans came out of the two world wars saying, "Never again. We've got to. We've just got to once and for all defeat." Uh, uh, the injustice that that characterized mankind up until now, and we're just gonna we're just gonna do it. And by the 1960s, 
um, th they had imposed a, a, a new regime, uh, which made, which was eventually called liberal democracy, where uh, instead of having these two parties, liberal and conservative, competing with one another, both sides came out being different kinds of liberals. And uh, that hasn't worked so well. I mean, it, it worked in solving certain particular crying injustices like the persecution of blacks in America. But overall, it brought us to uh, the, the, the cultural revolution that we're watching today. So, I mean, one of the things that you say that I, my heart sank a little bit because I frequently say I'm a conservative because I'm a liberal, because it, it, at least American, I mean, I think there's a difference between British and American conservatism uh, that... Americans have that written constitution that we're defending. We, we kind of know what we're trying to conserve, the ideas that went into that. Uh, Edmund Burke, I'm a huge fan of Burke, but there's a certain kind of feel of tradition, uh, hierarchy, uh, you know, uh, the things that, as you say, want to be passed on. Right. Why, why am I wrong to say that I'm a conservative because I'm a liberal? What, what is the problem there? Well, the, the problem is that in, during the 1940s and 1950s, uh, American intellectuals and politicians and, and Brits too uh, worked really hard to uh, to sort of erase the history of conservatism. Mm. Um, so you know, but Burke is mentioned occasionally as though he you know as though he invented it, which is you know ridiculous because you know how can he be the inventor of a tradition that's you know 700 years old at the time that he was defending? But um, but there are all these prominent people who after World War after World War Two. Um, said, uh, look, America was America has always been liberal uh, since the founding, and the same thing happened in Britain. That people started saying, ever since the Glorious Revolution, Britain has been liberal, and uh, both of those things are false. And the uh, basically what's happening is is that you know the universities and and uh, and people who study in universities are perpetuating a a myth. It's really propaganda claiming that there there never was a conservative tradition in America. Now, if 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 uh, I go some in the book, I go into this in some detail. Um, the if if you look at the extremely deep and bitter divide between uh, the uh, the American Federalist Party that that was basically the nationalist conservatives of those days. We're talking about Washington, Hamilton, Adams, John Jay, Governor Morris. These are the people who wrote the American Constitution. And the uh, the claim that that whole party of nationalist conservatives was not important, and actually everybody in the founding were just liberals. It basically what it does is it replaces uh, George Washington as the father of America, replaces him with Jefferson, who mm. really was a, a liberal. And look, I don't I don't blame anybody for thinking these things because uh, this is what you're taught at university. But you know, if, if you look this stuff up, it's not not so hard to see that there was a real contest between liberals and conservatives at the American founding, and that the Constitution is actually a conservative document, going going back to the English Constitution, imitating it rather than what the liberals wanted. Okay, that uh, you know, Roger Scruton is wrote this book about conservatism where he ended up saying basically uh, conservatism is always just a reaction to things and really has it has no content except, except to fight back. What is it about the Constitution that is a conservative, that makes it a conservative document? Well, I, look, I have tremendous respect for, for Sir Roger. Um, uh, we, we, we were friends and I learned a tremendous amount from him, um, but we didn't agree about absolutely everything. 
And uh, I'm a big fan of his too, by the way. But I've oh, I, no, I'm, a tr- yeah. I'm a tremendous. I mean, yeah. the, the man is simply a hero and a true conservative, and but not 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 a historian, uh, a, an excellent philosopher. But I I I, I think that he gets a, some of the history a little bit wrong, and the uh, the the thing to be the thing to be looking at is here. I I, I think the best way to think about it is this: most of the things that um, many, many of the things that are good about the American Constitution, as uh, John Adams and Hamilton and others said, uh, are imitations. They're directly inherited from the English Constitution. And the way you can tell this is true is if you go go back a few centuries earlier, go back to like John Fortescue, the great common lawyer, he's already writing in the 1470s. Now, I mean, this sounds ridiculous, but just read the book. It's really easy to read. There's a, there's a new edition out. It's really, really easy. To, it, the English is easy. 1470s, John Fortis, Sir John Fortescue is saying, um, what's great about England? It's the, it's the freest nation on earth. Why? Because of our traditional constitution. He's saying this in the 1470s. And there he already is explicitly talking about what we call uh, the separation of powers, uh, the, the, the balance between com- competing branches of government, the foundational place of property. Uh, you know, he, he writes about how how in in Britain, unlike in in uh, uh, in in, in uh, France or Germany, the king has no right to enter the home of even even the the the, uh, the 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 poorest farmer and to take anything from him. He can't even step into the house without the permission of the farmer. Now, all of these things and and, and the jury trial and and the uh, the role of the legislature in terms of. Um, uh, I'm sorry, of the parliament in, in terms of passing legislation and approving taxation. Every one of these things and many others are described in the 1470s by Fortescue in his, in his book In Praise of the Laws of England. Now, th- those things are not explicitly discussed in uh, in uh, the American Declaration of Independence. They're not explicitly discussed in the first American Constitution of 1777. The Articles, today we call it the Articles of the Con- Confederation, but it's, it was basically the liberal constitution. And uh, uh, Americans tried that for uh, for 10 years and they almost lost the, 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 lost the Revolutionary War because of it. Uh, they, they, they didn't have the power to tax they didn't have the power to raise money for soldiers. They didn't have the power to conscript. They didn't even have the power to make peace and, and enforce it. Washington and his officers and his uh, and 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 his supporters began already during the war saying this is impossible. We need to go back to something like the English Constitution, so that the Constitution of 1787 is a restoration of much of what. John Fortescue says 300 years earlier is the great tradition of the English Constitution. Now there are other things that that, that they're conserving. They're conserving uh, they're conserving Christian religion. They're conserving the common law tradition. They're conserving the English language and its great. Work. There's all sorts of things being conserved. But the important thing to understand is that just because you support separation of uh, a balance of of uh, of, uh, of competing powers within the constitution or or property rights um or or or, uh, uh, or the jury trial these things don't make you a liberal those things make you an anglo-american conservative to be a liberal is to say 
we now we don't need tradition anymore. We don't need the Christian religion. We don't need the common law. We don't need the English language. What we can do is we can just purify a few of these key points we got from the conservatives and claim that they're not English. They're universal. They apply to everybody and they're a dictate of pure human reason. So then you're a liberal because you've thrown religion aside. You've thrown national tradition aside. And that happened after World War II. It lasted exactly two generations and now we're on the brink of just watching the entire American experiment collapse because the liberals took over this, took this propaganda line and essentially um, said, look, we don't need conservatism. So now, all right, so the content of conservatism, the content of conservatism includes uh, Christianity, includes the English language. In, in what world are, can we restore uh, that sort of idea to a country as far down the road as this one. And your book is, is quite hopeful, really. I mean, you, you are very honest about the, the fix we're in, uh, but you actually say that there's a possibility of restoration. Now, I've seen restoration happen, happen before, but that, this is a big leap. Yeah, it is. I Look, I, I, I don't tell people I'm hopeful, but I'm also not a pessimist. Okay. No, seriously, I'm, I, I, I'm a religious person, and it gives me a very particular perspective. I think we're terrible about, terrible, terrible at seeing the future. I, I mean, we're good. We can plot the trajectory. If we plot the trajectory, we can all, I mean, y you and I can see that, that, that you know, America is finished, and it's going to take the democratic world with it. But luckily, we're terrible at seeing the future. <laughs> And no, seriously. And, and what that means is that if you if you think about like, uh, uh, you know, nobody saw force, almost nobody foresaw the collapse of the Soviet Union or the 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 the, the bursting of the housing bubble, the the, um, uh, the the rise of nationalism in American Britain in 2016, the collapse of liberalism in 2020. Almost no one saw these things coming, certainly didn't didn't know how they were going to happen. We we're all surprised. So what that means is this, that. Look, we we have to um, restore conservatism personally in our own lives, in our families, in our congregations. We have we have to 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 return to a life of conservation and transmission. That's going to mean repentance, uh, whether Christian or Jewish. It's going to mean repentance, and and a return to scripture. Um, and at the national level, um, I I agree. I think it's at this point um, uh, absurd to hope that. Uh, that that uh, that a real conservative coalition is simply going to you know take power in Washington and 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 then is going to you know completely change the, the the life of the country. I think that's that's too much to hope for. But what I think is possible is there are still many places in uh, in America, uh, in in Europe, elsewhere. There are still many states, many places where there is a Christian majority or at least a pro-Christian majority. People people who um, look at what's coming. They can see what's happening. And they say, you know what? We can't fight this with, with just let everybody do whatever they feel like. We need to fight this woke neo-Marxist revolutionary vision. We need to fight it with a competing vision. And that competing competing vision is going to have to be a, a some kind of biblical democracy, Christian democracy, conservative democracy. It's going to have to be some kind of restoration. In those states where that's still possible, it's got to be done. And you know what? What I am hoping is that you know all all of the people are always saying, "Oh, look, you know, it, it'll be like Iran of the Ayatollahs if the Christians ever take uh, take power." Now, I I I think that's I I just don't think that's true. I think it's false. So so what we got to do is we got to do it. 
let's let's actually try to to place uh, a Christian public vision back in place in uh, some of the states where it's still possible in some countries in Europe. Let, let's build a coalition to do it and make sure that uh, that uh, minorities don't feel abused by it and and uh, that it's reasonable. And if, if if Christian democracy deserves to replace the 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 woke neo Marxism that's coming, then then we'll get to see it. And if it doesn't, then we'll know that too. What what would a Christian democracy look like specifically? I mean, I know the the founders of America said we need this. Our constitution will only serve a religious people, but they didn't actually put the machinery forward for making a Christian government. Well, the. the, the Yes, yes, and no. They were definitely very concerned that the federal government should not interfere uh, in, in in the diverse, the the very diverse practices of church and state relations in the different in, in the different states in the thirteen states. And uh, various states still had established churches, and and all of them had uh, some kind of preference uh, for for Christian Christianity and, pub, and 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 biblical values. By the way, in the United Kingdom, I mean, this is this federalism was kind of sort of an imitation of Britain, where the 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 British had uh, the Church of England in England, right, which was which, which Anglican, obviously. And and in Scotland they had the Church of Scotland, which which was Presbyterian, which was completely different. And in Ireland, the Church of Ireland. So the 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 uh, the American founders kind of imitated this. They said each state is going to have its it, its own arra- arrangements in terms of church and state, which are appropriate to it. And uh, that that continued in the United States. That that thought that theory up until 1947, when when after World War II again, when uh, the liberal Supreme Court, um, for the first time, uh, declared separation of church and state to be uh, a, a fundamental American constitutional principle and imposed it on all of the uh, all of the 48 American states from from Washington mm-hmm. by fiat. That that, as far as I'm concerned, that that that's the wrong turn, and it's not. I mean, I I didn't make this up. In the 1980s, um, uh, Justice William Rehnquist wrote uh, you know a very very famous dissent i think in 1985 uh tracing the the wrong turn in church in, in, beginning in 1947 in the everson case and he and he wrote then that that the entire line of decisions has been wrongly decided and uh and, and has to be overturned i think that's basically where we are right now that mm-hmm. that uh, americans simply have to return to the pre 1947 uh, church-state circumstances where the states get to experiment with 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 different kind of public religion, public philosophy, and let's see what works. I, I think that's the way. You know, uh, when I visit England, the churches are virtually empty. I had an English friend write me the other day who he actually is uh, goes to church and is uh, an officer in his church, and he was outraged because he finally read the Gospels and found out that salvation was through Jesus Christ. <laughs> Classic English. You know. Uh, the, you know, the churches here are flying Black Lives Matter banners. Uh, you know, I feel like the church the church itself has lost its way. And yet you say in your book, you think, think this is actually a good time, a, a, a time that it's not a good time, but it's a good time for restoration. Why, why do you feel that way? Well, because because everything's in 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 motion. I mean, it's not it, look. It's it, it's obviously not it's not a good time because because we're we're watching 
uh, we're we're watching the, the the countries and the traditions that uh, that we love and believe in uh, d- d- disintegrating before us. So it's not it's not a good time. Uh, but the um, but as of 2020, I mean, we have to understand what happened in 2020 between uh, World War II and 2020. Uh, liberal liberal political theory, liberal philosophy, was kind of the official religion of of the United States uh, and and of and of Europe. It, it it was a consensus. Both major parties had different versions of it, um, and uh, like I said, that lasted for two generations. Now, in 2020, we are we're seeing the collapse of liberal hegemony. I mean, it's not. I, I mean, it's already happened. I mean, there's still plenty of of, of you still see anti-Marxist liberals, um, you, you know, like 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 some good loyal old school liberals who who are fighting the fight, the rearguard action against the you know the 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 neo-Marxist takeover of all the major institutions in the United States or most of them, but that's a small minority. I mean, what's actually happened is that uh, that conservatives have since 2016 have have turned in a direction that is a lot more nationalist uh, and and in some ways more traditionalist and the 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 left has gone full cultural revolution and 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 the liberal consensus is now down to like you know a small number of very prominent very intelligent people um at at the center of the map but but they they can't restore there's not there's not going to be any going back to 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 the post 1960s liberalism so when when we there's a a contest taking place on the right to uh, to try to develop and get in position to be the main um, thing that is that, that is leading the charge against woke neo-Marxism, uh, and as, as you mentioned, but you know my 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 colleagues and I in uh, in the national conservative movement, we you know we we have our own views about how that's supposed to go, but there are all sorts of other groups, and uh, and uh, I I think we represent the by far the largest. Uh, the, the the largest voting block and the, the large the, the intuitions of of the great mass of, mm-hmm. of uh, Americans and others, but what we have now is an opportunity to rethink conservatism, to uh, uh, put it on uh, foundations that are appropriate for uh, these years as opposed to for you know the 1960s, and uh, and if we can do that, I think we have a we still have a good chance of being able to um, rally a very large number of uh, of Americans and people in other countries, make forge a uh, a uh, an, an alliance with the remaining anti-communist liberals if they can stand us, and with some others on the right, um, and and be able to turn this around. It's possible, uh, but we're going to have to work really hard to do it, both on our in our personal lives and and nationally. Uh, the book is called Conservatism, A Rediscovery. The author is Yoram Hazoni, H-A-Z-O-N-Y. Yoram, you know, I wish we could continue this uh, for another 20 minutes. I'm, I'm out of time, but I hope next time you're in the country, uh, you'll let us know so we can have you back. I would love to hear more. Okay, sure. Will do. Thanks Thank so you much. Very much. Thanks a lot. Yeah, bye. You know, I got here this morning about 10 a.m. and it was already 90 degrees. The country is going through a heat wave, but nothing is hotter 
than the Daily Wire. <laughs> How was that for a segue? Yes, the Daily Wire is hot because we are producing some of the best content in America. We've got Matt Walsh's terrific documentary, What is a Woman? Uh, the book is out now, too. We've got the summer blockbuster, Terror on the Prairie. They tried to cancel Gina Carano. We wouldn't let it happen. Uh, you know, the writing on the Daily Wire, no kidding, is getting better and better. The reporting is getting better and better. The news is getting better and better. All of that is a reason for you to subscribe, not just to support it, but to become part of this fight to change the culture and change the way content is delivered and the kind of content that is delivered. Go to dailywire.com slash subscribe. Join us today. We need you. We live off what you give us. So come on and join us and we will give you the content you love. This is the time to do it. Dailywire.com slash subscribe. One of the many, many ways in which The Daily Wire has upped its game is by bringing on Megan Basham as its cultural correspondent. I think she's one of the best cultural reporters in the country. Uh, and we love to have her on once a month to talk about what's going on. Megan, it's good to see you. Always good to see you, Andrew. I, I hear, you know, I never get invited to anything, but I hear you've been working very hard at all these premieres for uh, Terror on the Prairie. Yeah, I have. It's been a really fun week, but it's definitely been a really busy week. I, I did get the pleasure of um, meeting your son, Spencer oh. Clavin, no relation. <laughs> yes. So that was, um, that was a treat to get to uh, spend a few minutes chatting with Spencer face-to-face. -face. We've corresponded a lot, but we had never met face-to-face, -face, so that was wonderful. He was very proud to tell me that he answered the question, how do you spell prairie accurately? I <laughs> That's a tough one. <laughs> it actually is. I mean, anyway, the, the story I want to talk to you about is the shakeup that's going on at CNN. And I really want to talk to you about it because I, it, I'm not quite sure. I keep hearing uh, this is going to be a real change back to CNN's roots. Tell me, give me what's happening. A, a new, there's a new ownership at CNN. Is that right? Right. So um, CNN is owned by Discovery and Discovery merged with Warner Brothers. And all of this allowed a man named John Malone to sort of take charge of what's happening with CNN. Now, if you're not familiar with John Malone, he is a billionaire. He's kind of a Rupert Murdoch type figure, but a lot of people don't know him as well. And they've kind of jokingly been referred to as frenemies in the media because they have a, a kind of competitive thing happening. And he was one of the... Um, early forces in bringing about the cable news revolution. So um, John Malone is, I won't say he's conservative, but he's a libertarian and he is a Trump donor. So all of this, some pretty interesting background. He took charge of CNN just a couple of months ago and he really let it be known that there is a new sheriff in town and things are gonna be done differently. And one of the first things he did was fire Jeff Zucker. Well, that, that is, that, that's not openly out there, but everybody behind the scenes kind of says he fired Jeff Zucker. Because he, he was kind of chased out because of this affair he'd been having for like 20 years, but that's a, a ruse. Right. That's kind of what, that's what I've heard is that it was a pretext that okay. they used that as the opportunity he wanted to reset things at CNN. And he gave this notorious interview to CNBC where he essentially said, wouldn't it be great to see CNN do news again with real journalists again? <laughs> so you can imagine it. Yeah, at that point, Zucker was still there. So that went off like a bomb in the building. 
And uh, from there, you know, some of the uh, more out and proud far left anchors at CNN, like Jim Acosta, like Brian Stelter, took some umbrage to that. In fact, uh, before Zucker was fired, uh, Stelter wrote in his newsletter that he was you know, very offended by this, that the people who work at CNN are very diligent journalists. And he, he called out John Malone by name and said, John Malone must not watch CNN. And Jeff Zucker is also very upset about this. Well, you know, so John Malone handled that problem. <laughs> so I, I, a lot of people are saying, look, the, the implication is probably that Brian Stelter won't be there much longer either. Um, one of the things that John Malone quickly did was hire a guy named Chris Licht. Now, Chris Licht has a somewhat... You might think he's a little bit liberal. He's not really. He's not really on the map as far as where he is ideologically. But he did work as an executive producer at the Stephen Colbert Show. So a lot of conservatives said, "How conservative is this guy going to be?" Or even just forget conservative. We're not looking for that. Just how straight down the middle is this guy going to be as far as shaping journalism at CNN? And so far, pretty down the middle. He's made a few early moves. One getting rid of those very annoying breaking news Chiron banners that you see with every other story. So we're not going to do that anymore. We're not here to alarm viewers. We're here to inform them. And uh, the next thing he did was say that they may not use phrases like the big lie, mm -hmm. referring to Trump's claims to have won the election, because that sounds like a Democrat talking point, And people will not trust our news if we use Democrat talking points. So some changes like that, um, he's let it be known that they're going to be evaluating all of the on-air staff, all of the bookers, all of the producers, and they're going to be looking for bias, and they want that to change. So that's really where CNN is right now. That's pretty impressive. I mean, Brian Stelter, if they ever make a remake of the movie Gaslight, I think Brian Stelter should be in it because I've never seen a guy so biased, so you know, right. insistent that there's no bias at CNN. And, and it has been absurd. I mean, they, they're perfectly welcome to be MS, the other MSNBC, but it's not working for them, right? I mean, they have no ratings at this point, do they? Well, you know, that actually is a little bit complicated okay. of a question to me because MSNBC and CNN kind of go like this. They're both way behind Fox. So, you know, of course, I think Jeff Zucker's idea was that, and it worked, it worked really well for a time, that we will be the anti-Fox and we will get numbers and that worked during the Trump presidency. But after Trump left office, it's just been a ratings freefall. Mm -hmm. So in this last book, CNN was behind, I mean, they were in dead last behind MSNBC and Fox, but in the demo, that very important advertiser demo of 25 to 54, they were actually a little bit ahead of MSNBC. So I, there's a part of me that of course cheers the return of actual journalism. Yeah. And I, I want that to actually succeed, but there's also a cynical part of me that does understand this could end up being possibly a simply a bad business decision for CNN going into election season, going into a presidential election season. Of course, uh, it's possible that people may not tune in for smart, intelligent news <laughs> and yeah. if that's even what they offer us. So yeah, I'm really hoping that, um, that, that my fellow citizens, uh, I'm going to try to have more faith in them. 
maybe than my, my baser instinct. <laughs> I, like, I like your idealism. You know, I, I think the thing is, there's this kind of death spiral that the New York Times is in where you only report one side of the news. So all your readers are now on that one side of the news. A conservative idea in the New York Times uh, would not only die of loneliness, it would, it would kill a large segment of its readers because all of Park Slope would just sink into, the, uh, into New York Harbor if they had to read this. So now they, they're in the situation where they literally can't be more fair because they'd lose this audience. But CNN is so far down, it seems to me, uh, especially after Trump, that they could actually reinvent themselves and and be, especially, you know, listen, F Fox News is a conservative outlet. It has the best news program, the Brett Baer uh, Evening News. But that's basically their one straight up news program. If CNN imitated that, you don't know. I don't know. They might be able to do it. I, you know, I was hearing the other day that there's a new guy at uh, New York Times, at the New York Times, running the New York Times, but they're having these debates whether they should use the kind of language that you're talking about, like whether you should just be able to say this man is a racist, racist candidate, you know, wh whoever they don't like, I guess, uh, and whether they can call him that. The Wall Street Journal is now using terms like gender-affirming care to mean gender-destroying care. Uh, you know, th this kind of language is, is permeating the news business. It would be revolutionary. It would be genuinely revolutionary for CNN to stand athwart that, uh, that movement. I, I don't know. I think it could work. Is, is this... Am I a fool to think that this is actually part of a movement in the media uh, to sh shrug off the shroud of, of wokeism? I mean, what's happening at Disney now? We talked about Disney before. Uh, they're having kind of a shakeup after their run-in with DeSantis. How is that looking? Well, right. And I think part of what you're seeing in all of that is you're realizing that um, some of the adults in the room, the older, cooler, wiser heads are realizing we have let some young people who uh, let's give them the benefit of the doubt and say they, they don't understand the long-term ramifications of some of these things. It may feel good in the moment, but it is credibility destroying. And I think we have seen that certainly with Disney. And part of why you're encouraged with Disney is they have realized that the backlash was so strong and they were reacting to the moment and they weren't reacting to, let's take a deliberate long view of how this impacts our business and our industry. And I also do think you're seeing a guy like John Malone, who who knows the business inside and out. Mm. He has been there for decades, who is saying, look, we have to take a longer view on this. And I see, look, to, to talk a little bit about internal politics, we have those conversations on the news side at Daily Wire because it is separate from our opinion product. And we want to be a news outlet that doesn't just feed you red meat, that you can trust that we're not using incendiary language. And so we've had a lot of meetings lately about how do we give you the most credible journalism you're gonna find anywhere. So hopefully that is what's happening and I hope they stay the course because even if you do see a little bit of a drawback in the short term, if you look at that Disney situation, they, they did feel a little media pain. In the long term, they have a lot of rebuilding to do and I think that's where CNN is now. So. To me, I'm encouraging them, stay the course. In the long run, the smart people will return to you if you give them a reason. Yeah, and I, I mean, there always is a reason to turn on the news if you're getting the facts. I mean, that actually is a, a good thing. Did you happen to see this Fox piece on the uh, transgender child? Uh, you did. So now, I, I, was, I was appalled. I mean, I was, I, I was actually shocked that they did that. 
and did it in this kind of cheerful, featurey way and, and say that anybody who didn't disapprove of this was just fearful of what they didn't understand. You have any idea what on earth they're thinking? Um, you know, a couple of things. One, my, my husband actually pointed out to me, there was a similar piece by the same reporter, and his name escapes me right now, uh, Brian Yenis. Yeah. Brian Yenis did a very similar piece last year during Pride Month, and it kind of flew under the radar. So this year, for whatever reason, people really took notice of it. And what I sense is that Fox is sort of floating trial balloons, going, how will people react? And this is my speculation, so I I don't have reporting on this. Let me be clear on that. But my speculation is that you have a guy like Lachlan Murdoch, who has taken over for his dad in running Fox, and he is a creature of New York City. He's a creature of the elite. He has a wife who seems to me someone who very much wants to be in those circles. And I think it's embarrassing to them. I, I think that, and again, all my opinion. No, but a lot but of people are saying this, yeah. Is, yeah, that they run in those circles and there's a sense at which they go, yeah, we can be the sort of conservatives who are for the, you know, the the fiscal policies that are conservative and the foreign policies that are conservative, but it's always those social issues that they tend to find a little embarrassing. And so, um, I don't know, I sense an influence of wives and friends there. Yeah, yeah, a lot of, I've heard that a lot. Megan Basham, it's always good talking to you. You've always got really good insights and good reporting. Uh, If you're not reading Megan at The Daily Wire, you are missing out really on some terrific cultural reporting. We'll talk to you again next month. Thanks so much, Andrew. I really always enjoy being here. It's great seeing you. Thanks. All right. I know some of you are sitting at home thinking, you know what I love? I love having problems. Well, I'm sorry. Those days are over because we're about to solve all your problems with the mailbag. <laughs> LGBTQLI, excuse me, plus. Yeah! <laughs> they, they make fun of him for messing that up, but who can remember all those letters? All right. Uh, from Carmen, uh, I have been dating a man whom I really love. He's conservative, says he's Christian, but is struggling with his faith. He's constantly doubting us as a couple because he wants to try something sexual before marriage, even if it's not full sex. I'm waiting for marriage, and I have been clear about this with him since the beginning. Uh, Many years ago, I was pressured to go beyond kissing. I felt strongly this is not God's design, and I really don't want to make the same mistake with this man. He says he feels very anxious thinking about marriage marrying without being able to test out our chemistry. I feel we can communicate and improve, even if it's not initially perfect, but he believes that that is naive and that there are certain aspects of chemistry that cannot change. Can you provide some advice for us? Are there any words or perspectives that could ease his anxieties? I do not want to dismiss his fears. Uh, Is there any way for us to stay together without one of us feeling they're compromising? I love him, and the idea of separating over this is devastating. Um, Yeah, I mean, I can't solve that problem because you want different things, and that's going to continue uh, until you either marry or break up. Uh, but but yeah, I, I think maybe I can at least may ease this stress. I, 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 what what he is worried about, I, th- I believe, despite this term, this vague term chemistry, uh, is he's, he's worried, um, how can I put this, you know, I can't put it politely, but I mean, he's worried that you might be a bit of a, a prig. Uh, not because you won't have sex before marriage, but because that might indicate that you are withholding, uh, you will be withholding even after marriage. Uh, that you might be one of these women uh, who says, oh, you know, not tonight, dear, I have a headache, it's been such a long day, and I'm not in the mood, uh, and all that. And that when he says that I enjoy this, or I would like this, or I would like to do this, you will be repelled or say, that's against my religion, or, you know, I don't want to do that. And 
That that is the drawback, especially I think for men. But I think it is the draw, drawback because the other side it's also for women too. Because he may want things that you may not want to do. You know, like he may have some weird fetish where he has to strangle you into unconsciousness or something. It might be a good idea uh, to sit down and have that very very difficult conversation. That's a difficult conversation to have. It's difficult. People don't like to talk about sex. They don't like to talk about it in detail. But it might ease his fears to know that. Uh, if, if indeed you do, you believe that when you're married, you become one flesh and that you are not going to be uh, disgusted by various things. You're not going to be a prig. You're not going to be withholding, but you're going to be generous. I mean, guys, in, in, speaking generally, you always have to speak generally about these things. Guys like a lot more sex than women do. And wise wives that I know are always talking about, they use the, what is the phrase? Maintenance sex. Talk about maintenance sex. Just keep, you know, maybe a quickie, you know, like even you're not in the mood, but maybe just something to keep the guy uh, going until um, you are in the mood and you can do something more elaborate. Uh, so maybe he wants to know about that. And that, maybe that's something that would ease his fears. And, and if you can find out if there's things that he likes that he's afraid that you will be afraid of or disgusted by, uh, you could find out about that now. Uh, because you're absolutely right about chemistry. Uh, sex is not rocket science. Sex is not rocket science. It's not hard to learn how to be a good lover. I mean, it is just, it's just not. You know, it's not in the, like the movies. It's not going to be in slow motion. There's not going to be music. You know, there's not that many moving parts. You can learn how to have sex well. Uh, and the question is, are you willing? Will you do it? Will you show up? Uh, and those are the things that he, I think, is worried about. And you might want to talk to him about it and find out things for your own sake. It's hard. It's embarrassing to have these conversations for everybody. Uh, but still, it might be well worth it because you actually are at a standoff and, and you, it would be a shame if you lost the man you love. Uh, from Troy, I have been watching you and all the others at the Daily Wire for the past couple of years. I've come to really enjoy your show. I'm a 47-year-old professional engineer, also a husband and father. I've lived most of my life as an atheist. Uh, little by little over the past year, I've learned about Christianity through reading the Gospels. I'm editing this at very long. Uh, and listening to the Daily Wire in March, I decided I would take Jesus as my Lord and Savior. On Easter this year, I was baptized. Since my baptism, my wife has become hostile toward me anytime I leave to go to Bible study or even if she sees me reading Christian books. Um, she says that uh, I've been stolen by the body snatchers. Uh, she asked me not to pray for her. She makes comments about me having drunk the Kool-Aid. Uh, she says she doesn't understand why I need religion and the people of the church are not your friends. They just want money. She insists on going to church with me and then whispers mocking comments during the service. That's very hostile. Uh, and I've just ignored her. One of the pastors at my Bible study recommended that I keep Peter 3.1.2 in my mind and just reverse the genders. That is that it, where a woman submits to her husband, I believe, um, so that he will be convinced, to, if he's not a believer, he will be convinced by her good behavior to become a believer. Uh, so just reverse the genders. That is what I'm doing. I know she loves me and I love her. Do you have any advice on how I could better handle this situation? Yeah, this is bad. You know, it, it, this is not uh, respectful of her, um, you know, and, and po it's possible uh, that if you're telling her you're praying for her, uh, that maybe you're being a little aggressive on, on your side. I don't like your pastor's advice if I'm right about the verse. Uh, I don't think that's the right thing to do. I think the right thing to do here is sit down and have a serious, loving, friendly uh, conversation with her about the situation that you're in, that this is important to you, that this matters a lot to you, uh, that you understand that she doesn't believe and you're not asking her to believe. You're asking her to allow you the space in which to communicate with your God, that you will not be preaching to her, that you don't have to tell, you know, you can pray for her all you want, but you don't have to come home and say, I'm praying for you, honey. If she doesn't like it, you know, don't tell her about it. That's not, it's none of her business to begin with. Um, and that 
you know, you, you can be the loving husband, father, and the uh, competent uh, working person that you have been all this time, uh, but also have your faith and that she should not come with you to church if she doesn't like it. Um, she should not make mocking comments. This is, this is wrong. It's wrong. It's the wrong thing for her to be doing. And so that's a conversation that you have to have with her. And you might want to think about laying down the law on that. She should not come with you to church. Uh, you should not allow her to come with you to church. You should basically say, you know, it's fine for you not to like this. It's fine for you not to believe. But you do have to respect my beliefs as I respect yours. And I think that that's a, a serious kindly, loving conversation that you have to have with her because she's in the wrong. Uh, not uh, It's not a question of whether she's in the wrong about God. She is, but that's none of your business. The The question is, is she in the wrong to, to leave you alone to worship your God? And she definitely is. And so you should have that conversation with her. Um, from Sawney, what a great name. I would like to hear your reasoning as to why you can comment on a woman's appearance as a Christian, seemingly lustful comments. Maybe I'm taking the comments in the wrong way. For example, when you said Amber Heard's cleavage got you through the first Aquaman movie, I too am a Christian and enjoy hearing your take on faith. Side note, recently you said being a homemaker was a religious task. Thank you. It came at a time when I was struggling and I've changed my thinking. I have been a stay-at-home mom now for one year. Woohoo! Came for Ben, stayed for Clavin. Uh, Sawney, it's just a really lovely name. I've never, I don't think I've ever heard that name before. Um, but what I said about Amber Heard's cleavage was that it was the only thing I remembered about Aquaman, which is literally the case about 10 minutes. I just thought the movie, I, I didn't even understand the movie. Uh, you know, and I was kind of watching it like that, but she wore that green uh, skin tight thing that was open at the front. And I walked out and, you know, and I said, my wife said, what was it about? And I said, as far as I'm concerned, it was about Amber Heard's cleavage. Um, and, you know, I say these things because they're actually true. Uh, you know, and because they're funny, uh, you know, that is what I thought while I was watching it. If I were not to comment on that, I would just be not telling the truth about what my reaction was. Uh, women's appearance is very important. Women's beauty is one of the main motivators of the world. A woman's beauty is one of the main motivators of the world. And when we we are said, told not to be lustful, that is not to not appreciate, I, in my opinion, other people write to me and say I'm wrong, but I but I know I'm right because of what the Greek means. Uh, the word that Jesus is Jesus uses when he says when you lust after a woman, he says when you covet a woman. It's not even really a sexual term. He says when you covet a woman uh, in your heart, you have committed adultery. So when you want a woman, believe me, I do not want Amber Heard, but. Just to look at a woman and understand and to feel her, the sexual allure of a woman and the beauty and sexual beauty of a woman, I do not believe is lustful per se. Um, you know, to women are beautiful. They are sexually alluring. Uh, that's why Amber Heard was in the movies. Um, but I don't feel that I'm coveting her when I see that. I'm enjoying that aspect of her, you know, I, and I do enjoy it. And I enjoy the beauty of women all the time. Uh, and, you know, I haven't uh, lusted for anyone since earlier this morning. So... <laughs> I do also lust for women, uh, but that is a different thing than what I'm doing. And this notion that I shouldn't be talking, I get this a lot. I mean, why are you always talking about how actresses look? Actresses are on screen because of how they look, uh, whether, whether they're attractive or not. And the beauty of women, the attractiveness of women is just a central fact of human life and of men's life and of our everyday life. And to not talk about it is just to lie to you and be pious and sort of say I'm holier than I actually am. Although, gosh, I am crazy holy. All right, I got to stop there. The Clavenless week is upon you. That darkness, look out the window. Yep, that inky darkness that's closing in with those kind of horrible things, tentacles coming out and all that. That is the Clavenless week coming for you. Uh, it will consume you. It will shroud your life. Uh, and you probably won't survive till next Friday. But if you do, I will be here. 
And this will be The Andrew Clavin Show, and I will still be Andrew Clavin. Hey, if you enjoyed this episode and want to spread the word, give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe, too. We're available on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, basically wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, remember to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, The Matt Walsh Show, and The Michael Knoll Show. Thank you for listening. The Andrew Clavin Show is produced by Lisa Bacon, executive producer Jeremy Boring, our supervising producer is Mathis Glover. Production manager, Pavel Wadowski. Editor and associate producer, Danny D'Amico. Our audio is mixed by Mike Cormina. Animations are by Cynthia Angulo. Hair and makeup is done by Cherokee Hart. Our production coordinator is McKenna Waters. And our production assistant is Jacob Falash. The Andrew Clavin Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2022. The EPA warns of two toxic chemicals in drinking water. USA Today deletes 23 fake news articles. And Rand Paul wrecks Dr. Fauci at a COVID hearing. Check it out on The Michael Knowles Show.